really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome to my favorite month of the year here at the Scrum of the Earth, October. So happy that it's fall. This is the weekly show, of course, that brings you news, reviews, and great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby union. As always, I'm your host. I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. Uh, by the way, we have so many great interviews coming up this month. Uh, October is interview month. We've got, uh, I, I hate to give it away right now, but just tomorrow morning, we're going to have Bernard Jackman of RTE Rugby, Irish international prop and legend in Ireland. I can't wait. After that, it's going to be Will Owen. We're going to have John and Craig from the Scottish Rugby Podcast back again. And, of course, making, I mean, what what is it going to be like his 142nd appearance? Phil from the Jacks Rangers show, among others, going to be so great. So, lots to get to this week. So, let's start the show. <laughs> So starting, as always, with our current updates, and, you know, there's just not much to report this week, really. Uh, the new job's going well. Uh, we'll be welcoming something like 250 people from all over the world this week, so that should be interesting. Uh, other than that, I, I did get my updated booster shot, got a little uh, flu shot chaser with it as well. Uh, one of my new goals is losing some of the weight that I've packed on since lockdown, and that's off to a slow but steady start, and that's, in my experience, how that works. So, yeah, this week I'd say no news is good news, you know? And, of course, speaking of news... I'm afraid, once again, the news is not good, Isa. I'm so sorry about that, but you know what? My, my little rugby world is down to one team called the Warriors. As you all surely know by now, the Worcester Warriors officially turned into a pumpkin on Monday after failing to satisfy the requirements for a credible plan to move forward. The whole thing is just an awful mess. On Wednesday, I learned it was even worse than I had thought as the players aren't actually being allowed to try to find employment elsewhere. Quoting here from the Telegraph, quote, frustrated Worcester Warriors players have been prevented from leaving the club immediately as the company that employs them has not been placed in administration. Telegraph Sport can reveal WRFC Trading Limited was placed into administration on Tuesday after the Warriors missed the Rugby uh, Football Union's 5 p.m. deadline to prove that the club had a credible plan for the future. The Warriors were suspended from all competitions with immediate effect and an application to put them into administration was accepted by the courts the following day. But WRFC Players Limited, the company which employs the players, was spared from administration, which was a necessity for players to engineer an immediate release from their contracts. The RFU's regulation 11.2.2 states that any player may terminate their contract immediately if the club is unable to pay its debts or enters into compulsory or voluntary liquidation or an administrator appointed of its assets or ceases for any reason to carry on business or takes or suffers any similar action. However, since the company which employs the Worcester squad is currently not administration, in administration, the only way for current players to secure uh, a move elsewhere would be to serve a two-week notice period from Friday's payday 
should they not receive their September salary payments. If the American-backed consortium led by Jim O'Toole is successful with its takeover effort and proceeds at, quote, warp speed, unquote, as the former Worcester Warriors executive promised, however, then the likelihood is that players will receive their salary payments before the two-week notice period is served and would still be unable to depart the beleaguered club on Monday. It is understood that the uh, Rugby Players Association informed players that Worcester's administration meant that they could tear up their contracts on Wednesday night. However, in correspondence seen by Telegraph Sport, the RPA performed what they call an about turn. The RFU has now confirmed that WRFC Players Limited, the company that you are contracted to, has not entered administration. I mean, oh my word. You can't, I can't even imagine how awful this must be. You, you haven't been, they, they haven't been paying you in general. Now you don't have a job. And guess what? You're not allowed to look for work. This is, it so completely defies any common sense. They must feel like they're stuck in a Terry Gilliam movie or something. Please, please, please let a reasonable person intervene here by all the gods. And quick add-on here that I added you know, to the script later on. I think it was on Friday. The scumbag owners, after remaining completely silent for two, maybe even three weeks, clearly lying about what's been happening to their fans and their employees, they had the temerity to issue a statement that blamed the fans for not supporting them enough and blamed the players for not taking bigger pay cuts. Unbelievable. I had assumed... You know, they were basically feces in human form, but they bent over backwards to dispel any doubt I could have had. They just made me embarrassed to be of the same species as them. That that statement might be the worst thing I've ever read. Oy vey. So moving on to our thoughts of the week and my thoughts of this week, uh, they've all been in Wales, basically, where strange happenings are afoot for the Dragons. So Dean Ryan, the director of rugby... <laughs> By the way, I know it's silly, but I always like to think that the director of rugby is just some random person being like, uh, play over there. No, not there. A little to the left. Anyway, he looks to have been sacked by Dragons after the opening round loss to Edinburgh. Quoting here, Dragons refused to comment on whether Ryan has left his role after just one game of the 2022 to 2023 season. He criticized his players in the opening URC loss at Edinburgh, placing blame for the 44-6 defeat on his squad, Dragons have said Ryan was spending his time representing the region in talks with the professional rugby board, the PRB, which runs the professional game in Wales. Ryan has a 26% win ratio in all competitions, and Dragons finished 15th in the 16-team league in 2021-22, with only two wins and no home victories at Rodney Parade. In Ryan's absence, Dragons ended a long-lasting home drought by beating a strong Munster side 23-17. We were all here for that. It was awesome. So after the victory, Flanagan, uh, the head coach, outlined how he sees his role, especially if he was to assume overall control for on-field matters on a permanent basis. Quote, I'll just always be me. People love me or hate me, but they'll get the best of me either way, said Flanagan. <laughs> so w when you do your team a solid by just not showing up, yeah, maybe it's Time for a change. I would love nothing more than Dragons to go on a huge tear right now. Their schedule is definitely favorable, or as favorable as it can be for the near future. They do have to play the Sharks this weekend. We'll get to that. But at least they're at home. And then it's away to Benetton, away to Cardiff, home for Ospreys, and home for Zebre. All five of those matches could be winnable. Let's go, Dragons.
so my friends of course we're now at our reviews and we have to start with the npc being their last round in this regular season i swear it's really snuck up on me i'm, I'm sorry i didn't sort of give more notice about this but down in new zealand we did have our lovely little wednesday fixture featuring bay of plenty facing northland i have to say the setup shots for bay of plenty are spectacular what a place so northland of course hadn't won away at the base since 2014 but having a player like Offa tuanga fussy you know that might make a difference for them in fact it would have to as a loss would mean the end of their playoff hopes but by the way another great concession sighting on the sidelines a little pop-up stand proclaiming fresh hot donuts oh that sounds amazing uh, why don't we have that anyway uh, another random side note, uh, both people on comms were named Jeff, just so you know. So 5 to 15 was your rather tame halftime score, but the home team refused to get rattled, taking points in the second half wherever they were available, and slowly building their way back into it. 20 minutes to go, and it was uh, Johnny McAlai switching, uh, stretching out for a brilliant corner try. Sorry, that was the first time I've ever said his name, <laughs> said his name out loud. Uh, and The lead was up to two scores as the clock Rolled over past 70 minutes, Bay broke through for a sweet one. And as the comms said, one kick could mean the difference between playoff hopes and the end of the line for Northland. Sure enough, it was soon 21 to 20. Back to boop. And the uh, the Northland sphincter just contracted majorly. Guys, chill. Grab a fresh hot donut, why don't you? So after a penalty, the visitors opted for a scrum, and their season would all come down to this final chance. Oh, no. A knock-on by Northland, and they would have to win a scrum penalty on defense to keep alive. The clock already dead. Oh my gosh. Ben O'Keefe blew the whistle, put the arm up to reward the boys in baby blue, and with a time reading 82 minutes, I, I can't imagine the pressure on the kicker. Dan Hawkins, two for three on the night, held his team's fate for the year on the tip of his boot. The players on the bench were either covering their eyes or praying or both. He's got it, screamed the comms, and I was out of my seat, punching the air. What a strike. And Northland, along with their dragon mascot, wearing a shield and a sword for some reason, they lived to fight on. What a match. 21 to 23 at the end. And technically, the weekend hadn't even started. As they interviewed the captain, by the way, the dragon actually horned into the shot, and everybody on hand, uh, on hands seemed to have collectively lost their minds. My friends, the NPC is awesome. So next up, technically for our final round, it was Hawks Bay facing Tasman on Friday, and holy crap, it was pouring. I was pleasantly surprised to see Falau Fakatava suited up for the Magpies. He's always exciting, though I, I already love McClutchy at number nine, so, I mean, I guess the Hawks Bay Cup overfloweth, eh? So Nick Bryant, the lead official for this one, is a dead ringer for Ron Swanson, by the way, just uncanny. By the way, the ads ringing the pitch proclaimed Hawks Bay Lager. And yes, please, can I have that? Can I have it to go along with my hot fresh donut? Also, great stat for you. Hawks Bay have the best scrum percentage in the NPC, winning 66 of their 67 put-ins this far. That's bonkers. In any event, McClutchy finally made a conversion on his third attempt, and it was a soggy 17-10 score at the half. The Mako spent 37 of the remaining 40 minutes scoreless, but finally found pay dirt, uh, pay mud, I guess, but it was too late, uh, too late, even for the likes of Sebu Reese to salvage for them. The Magpies did win at home, 25 to 17, all told. 
On Saturday, of course, it was Southland versus North Harbor. Sean Stevenson drawing all the accolades and getting his 23rd career try in the NPC. And then it was Bryn Gatland rubbing it in as the cops, get this, the cops exclaimed, Bryn Gatland, 0% small talk, 100% grind. Others talk, this man hustles. I mean, it, it was like being at a, an American wrestling event. So this one was just an insane romp. The possible distant coven, uh, cousin of the Craig Man Manson, Michael Manson, getting his third ever try just to add to the destruction. Eight to <clears throat> 66 was the surreal final tally for this one. Next, my friends, was Auckland versus Taranaki. I was so happy to see Jesse Peretti back in the starting lineup. His Bulls were hoping to get their first win over Auckland in five long years. They had a nice lead heading into the Sheds, 3-17. The second half, however, whew, it was all Auckland as they roared back, outscored their guests 35-7 to in that period. It will be, you know, at least another year now before Taranaki will have another shot. An impressive 38-24 victory by a very strong home team. So Otago versus Canterbury was a huge one with Otago needing a bonus point win to tie them with Hawks Bay at 31 points on the odds conference table. And if that happened, they'd leapfrog the Magpies by virtue of their head-to-head -head win earlier this year. If I've got the math right, Wellington boop, and Waikato are already assured of a quarterfinal appearance next week. In the Evens Conference, Canterbury, North Harbor, and Auckland are already assured of their postseason places while Northland still had a chance to sneak past Tasman for that final spot. In any event, there was a game to play, and Otago gave the start to their 19-year-old flanker, Fa uh, I want to say Fabian, but they said Fabian Holland. Uh, he, he's a guy from the Netherlands. He's, as I said, just 19 years old. They, they're placing so many hopes on him for being a future All-Black. I love the fact that he's from the Netherlands and his last name is Holland. It would be like if my, my name was David New England. Anyway, Canterbury, already assured of their playoff spot, fielded several brand new faces, including Joel Lamb, a scrum half getting his first ever game for the club. As for the actual game, Ostago, uh, Otago struck first, but Canterbury answered and then got a go-ahead try late in the first half with Fergus Burke, I said it, looking to slot the extras and perhaps catch Damian McKenzie on the scoring leaders list, where he was currently at third. This one was a real edge-of-your-seat match with just only a, a single point separating the teams entering the final 20 minutes. And then with five minutes remaining, Otago were looking at their season's end if they couldn't get in for just one more try despite several extra shots to do it at 83 minutes they coughed it up the season was officially over for Josh Iwana and company 21 to 27 so close on Sunday of course it was County's Monaco versus Wellington I only caught the very very ending on this one but it looked like it went according to the usual Wellington script dispatching counties quite thoroughly 31 to 64 to take a full head of steam into the playoffs Next up, of course, was Northland versus Manawatu. And honestly, I really just wanted Manawatu to get their first win of the year. Come on, boys! Things looked grim, however, with the hosts dominating the first half to the tune of 19-5. to And I just learned that these teams have traded wins their last five meetings, with Manawatu winning most recently. So, I mean, Northland were due, I suppose. Late on, it was still within reach, though, with the visitors closing to within 26-19 to with the final quarter to go. However... That's when the wheels came off with the hosts ripping off two tries right in a row 
And with the bonus point win at home, they had just managed to eke past the Tasman Mako into the quarterfinals, 41 to 24, meaning Manamatu, a big old goose egg for the year. Finally, of course, it was Waikato. They were hosting the Bay of Plenty. What? Oh my gosh, what a way to close out this year. Just an absolute back and forth from the very start with boop, edging out a 14 to 22 score at the break. The visitors found their groove in the second half and their lead ballooned to 20 headed past the 60 minute mark. Waikato, they haven't really looked themselves over the past few rounds, eh? Nevertheless, they did uh, hang on. They closed to within six with only a couple minutes remaining. They were knocking hard on the door right in front of the post. And then, oh my word, Bay managed to bat the line out throw backwards in hopes of clearing it. But with the funny bounce, it was Waikato poaching it out of the air to land in the in goal area. A try for the home side as the clock went red. Only a conversion to go to steal a famous win. It was McKenzie, once again, bending it. You, you've got to go look at this highlight. It, it was like, it was almost like he intentionally kicked it away from the post, knowing it was going to come back. And then it did 35 to 34 out of nowhere. What a shocker from the Mulus and a total gut punch for Bay of Plenty. I couldn't have scripted a more exciting way to put a cap on this season. My friends, this league is so much fun. And you know what? That ends your regular season down in the NPC with the quarterfinals on tap for next weekend. It's been an incredible ride. And the reigning champions of the former Premiership Division, Waikato, are still in position to potentially repeat. Go Waikato! Okay, swinging all the way back up to France. You know, last week, as I mentioned here, uh, I, I just didn't get a chance to watch any top 14. So this week, I sort of made a point of it for round five. We began with Bordeaux Begle versus Stade Francais, and it was it was absolutely pissing down rain. Uh, the comps pointed out that the conditions weren't just difficult for handling, but also it made things more dangerous because of collisions sort of resulting from the slipping and sliding that had never occurred to me. And right as they were saying it, boom, Le Coup, he got creamed, taking a good while to get back up. The only score through the first quarter was a kick from Jalabert, who looked in top form despite the weather. After three quarters, it was still only penalty goals for both sides. Bordeaux building a 12-3 lead. This whole tradition, by the way, of French teams winning at home and not caring about road results, it, it seems more real to me now than it ever did in the past. I guess I always assumed it was just kind of a, a big exaggeration or like an overstatement, but here we were again. Anyway, the drink boxes seemed more interested in getting out of the rain than putting any effort into the match. But with the clock well in the red, they did get chance after chance and finally got over the line, earning a losing bonus point, 15 to 10, as the final whistles finally sounded. Quote, fundamentally, if you don't score, you don't win, unquote, the comms helpfully offered. So, yeah, thanks for that. Anyway, next up was Poe versus Toulon. It was, again, only available in... En français, uh, but I did. I, I felt dedicated enough to watch it anyway. Um, Poe were clearly overmatched despite being at home, and Toulon already had a bonus point well before halftime. By the final whistle, they had been doubled up 17 to 34. Toulon looked very strong to me at this stage, and guess what? Away victory in the top 14. Can you believe it? So next up was Breve versus Bayon, and it was all Breve in the first half. Uh, and, uh, you know, much the same thing in the second half. The home team were up 25-8 to eight with a quarter hour to go. 
Bayon, they finally got it together way too late for it to matter, but did earn a losing bonus point after shutting out their host in the second half. Final score, 25-22. Next up, of course, was Claremont versus Lyon. If you haven't seen the Claremont mascot photo that I put on Twitter, I urge you to go take a look. It's awesome. Anyway, right at the top, the comms mentioned how hard it is to come to Claremont and get a win with the coach acknowledging, quote, we aren't able to express our personalities the same way when we're away from home, unquote. And this would clearly become a theme this weekend. Both sides were cover your eyes awful at the line out today. No idea why, but it was pure farce. And would at one point lead to Lyon's first try of the match, Baptiste Cuyo uh, taking advantage of the broken play naturally. It only took literally a minute for the next botched uh, set piece. The ball magically found its way into the hands of the magical Alivaretti Raka, who got his second of the day, pushing the lead to 28, uh, 24 to 8, approaching the intermission. It must be noted, halftime featured a DJ coming onto the field and having the mascot attempt to dance you heard it here first, to a discoed up version of Take On Me. And you, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? Anyway, by full time, Claremont, they had dotted down six tries, three by Rocca, to, uh, to secure a 43-20 to 20 victory in the autumn sunshine. Said the comms, they'll all catch the trams back to the city center, and there will be a brisk business at the cafes. You just gotta love it, right? So Perpignan versus Cast was eerily similar to the Bordeaux-Begley game minus the torrential rain and minus the English commentary. Uh, as we say here in Massachusetts, irregardless. Early in the second half, Perpignan were pitching a shutout, but Cast, they weren't going away easy. And in the final seconds, they were driving and only down 14-10 to 10, with their traveling fans going utterly bonkers. Were we in for another road win in the top 14? No, the answer was no with the visitors getting bundled into touch well into the red, and despite scoring not a single point in the second half, Perpignan were able to just hang on for a tight win at home. And then another real cracker. It was La Rochelle versus Racing. Finn's side scored right after the halftime buzzer, and the comms said, that is another excellent kick for Finn Russell. Mr. 100%. As Racing took a 7-16 to edge into the lockers, Racing had nothing in the second half, however, and as the final 10 minutes loomed, suddenly La Rochelle were up by a point, but soon after, Pierre Boudahead, and what a name by the way, scored his first try for La Rochelle, and Racing were in range of a looning, uh, losing bonus point. Uh, but, you know, of course, Finn would deliver, and what a lovely soft kicking style he's got. There's just a, I don't know, there's a cool, unique sound to a Finn Russell kick. Any of his fans out there listening... You know what I mean? Like when Finn kicks it, you're like, oh, that's a Finn kick. There's something about the sound of it. And somehow you know when it's good as well. However, La Rochelle would come out on top 24 to 19 at the very end. Another home win. So, of course, of course uh, Montpellier were up next versus Toulouse. This was the final fixture on the docket for the top 14. Leading up to it, the home teams were at 5 and 1. Would it soon be 6 and 1? So it was a nice close thing throughout the first 30 minutes. A single point contest headed into halftime. The back and forth continued. It was 17 to 19 with a quarter hour left. And oh my word, with the clock ticking past full time, it was a red card to Toulouse. Montpellier would have a solid shot at squeaking out a win at the death. But somehow, I swear, more controversy with the Matthew Reynal officiated match. And even though there was time left, there was no reset given. The double whistle blew. 
inexplicably giving the visitors a very, to me, sketchy win. Maybe I missed something. I don't know. I'm a bit disappointed that this is where my viewing would end for the week. It felt like a baseball game where like a team has their last at bats, but the umpire suddenly decides you only get one out for some reason. Just a, a total head scratcher. Yuck. Ugh. Okay, so flipping back over to the other parts of Europe and the URC, we had round three beginning, of course, with the Bulls taking on my boys Connacht, who were on the road. This one began at, uh, began at lunchtime on Friday, and I have to say, I love it when people have black eyes for their team photos. You know, at the beginning of the match when they're showing the lineups and uh, they sort of highlight these these photos of people. Like, w- was there any day we could take your picture when you wouldn't look like you'd just been mugged? Nope. Sorry. My name's Marmion, and uh, this is how I look. <laughs> Too good. Anyway, a trip to South Africa was always going to be a tall order for my boys from Galway. But this time, they'd also be without Bundiaki, who is spending eight weeks sitting in a corner and reflecting on what he's done, very sadly. Uh, the Bulls, they got their third try of the day right at halftime, with Connick still unable to get it on the scoreboard at all. In fact, it wasn't until about a quarter hour to go that they got some points. But, you know, they never got close. 28-14 to 14 was your double-up final score at Loftus first field. Oh, the next one. So good. Ulster versus Leinster. I mean, it became a laugher, I guess, but, oh, the hype, the the lead-up. Anyway, so at Kingspan, I was very much looking forward to this battle of the unbeatens. Incredible atmosphere for Friday night fixtures. Uh, the packed crowd singing away, just so good. Quote, playing against a team like Leinster, you got to take some risks and really play right on the edge. And that's what Ulster will do tonight, unquote, predicted the comms as the rain began to fall. By the way, after watching the match from Loftus earlier, which looked empty, it was great to see the Kingspan just utterly jam-packed. Okay, t- to be fair, the stadium in Belfast only sits 18,000 compared to 51,000 in Pretoria, but if there were 18,000 people on hand for the Bulls game, I will eat my Free Jacks bucket hat. So future Scotland international John Cooney got the Ulsterman's first points of the evening, but they were still behind after an easy early try for Leinster. By the way, the angle of the camera... It's got to do with the lights, I'm sure, but it significantly alters the way you can see the rain. One angle looked like it was just kind of a light drizzle, you know, just a, a little bit wet out there. Then they switched to a close-up shot, and it was the rain was so heavy, it looked fake. Like, it looked like they had an overzealous effects guy just kind of dumping literal buckets. So weird. Anyway, the rain was, in fact, so heavy that down in Australia... Lolisio was seen trying to gather up two of every animal, and yes, that's how far I will go to get a Noah joke in here. You are welcome. Anyway, down to uh, 3 to 17 after halftime, the home side continued to look bum-fuzzled, wouldn't score their first try until after 60 minutes had passed. Their utterly drenched crowd were unfazed, with the constant refrain of, Oster, Oster, ringing with an eerie beauty throughout the Kingspan. What looked like an incredible try in the corner, was overturned, correctly so, I'm afraid to say, as the ball slipped out of Ulster's grasp in the slip-and-slide conditions. At 13-20, to 20, Ulster still did have a shot in the final minutes, but they made the mistake of replacing John Cooney with an 11-year-old, it looked like, and Leinster took it away from them at the final scrum. Game over. 13-20 to 20 for the visitors. Ouch. So next up, Cardiff were home for the Lions with a good crowd on hand, and it took Lions most of the first half to figure out any sort of attack, but it was a close one, 13-10 at the intermission. 
Uh, Lions, they took their first lead around 50 minutes. The crowd was deflated, having seen this film before. Shortly thereafter, it was 13-24, to 24, but Cardiff finally figured something out and got back within six in the final 10 minutes, the crowd coming back to life at long last. However, ugh, it was disaster for the home team in the final moments where they kicked it backwards to try to keep the ball in play when you know they were just down to the final moments, whereupon it was touched down by a streaking Lions player, Reese Priestland, just not able to get there in time. Suddenly, the visitors had a bonus point try while taking away a possible losing bonus point from Cardiff at the same time, the South Africans can, uh, South Africans continue to look very strong, coming away road victors 18-31 to 31 in Cardiff. On Sunday, we had the Stormers at home for visiting Edinburgh. My friends, it happened again. I forgot to avert my eyes after clicking replay, and sure enough, there was the frozen image of the halftime score. When, oh when, will I learn? I mean, at least I knew I was going to be close, I suppose. So, side note, I had forgotten that the Stormers used cheerleaders. It's just so odd to me. Because their little outfits are DHL-sponsored, they look like they're kind of going as delivery drivers for Halloween or something. Anyway, I don't get it. In the second half, they showed Rassi Erasmus in the crowd, posing for pics with fans, which, I don't know, I kind of liked for some reason. All the comms had to say about this was, look who's back, which, I don't know, it seemed apt. In any event, the home team took their first lead as Joseph Dwebe smashed through for his first try as a stormer. God, that guy is good. Edinburgh didn't score in the second half until Blair Kinghorn slotted three around minute 53. Uh, they just kind of looked tired to me. The comms declared, quote, Grant Kilchrist has been in the wars, and each time he gets up, he does so more slowly, unquote. But they they did find a second a second wind, as they say, and uh, they looked in decent position to tie things up when an errant pass was intercepted and run all the way back. Suddenly, it was 27-13 to 13 with just over 10 minutes to play. After a red card to the Stormers, Edinburgh did get another try, but muffed the conversion, leaving themselves still two scores away. The narrative <laughs> At that point, the narrative shifted from, can they catch up, to will the Stormers get a bonus point try? Sure enough, after the clock had gone red, they were in the corner for their fourth try. 34-18 to 18 was the final for their first, uh, first true home game down in Cape Town. So next up, of course, it was Ospreys, back, or still in Swansea, I guess, to tackle the Glasgow Warriors, the only remaining Warriors team that I watch, apparently. Uh, I just made myself sad. Anyway, it was Alan Wynne-Jones' 256th appearance for the club. I swear it sounds like I just made that up. A mind-boggling number. By the way... Is Reese Webb single-handedly keeping all of Swansea's tanning salons in business? Just curious. So this was my first look at this particular away kit for Glasgow, and I'll just tell you, I will not be purchasing one anytime soon. So a frightening sight early on uh, with number eight roots getting knocked out cold. I mean, just turned rigid upon the impact. It was rough. I hope he's all right. So for the match itself, though, Ospreys looked very quick, very aggressive right from the start. They had what looked like the try of the week before it was waved off, and both teams were hard-pressed to find points. The incredible Keelan Giles finally ended the drought with the comms gushing. Tiptoes and fingertips, the difference this time. <laughs> I love that phrase. That was great. Uh, anyway, then it was the Warriors' turn to, to have a gorgeous score wiped off the board. And after exploding offensively last week, they were right back in the doldrums, managing only three points by the halftime break. 
In the second half, yet another terrible sign for all rugby fans, with Gareth Anscombe down on the field and in obvious distress. It looked like a rib injury. Let's hope it's just a stinger. I mean, this guy's bad luck by all the gods. So the show did go on, of course, however, with Keelan Giles getting another brace. What an electric winger he is. Man, oh, man. It was 17-3 to with a half hour to go. Too many infringements, uh, infringements sent Dan Lydiot to the bin. And if Glasgow couldn't cash in at that point, you know, it was going to be over. Sure enough, it was George North scoring again for the hosts. And the comms said, this one, competitively, is over. Ollie Kebble got the first and only try for Glasgow with only seconds to play. And somehow... They got another one with the clock gone red. Guys, no tries in 79 minutes and then two in three minutes? What the F is going on with y'all? In the end, it was a comprehensive beatdown. Ospreys shining in Swansea, 32-17. to 17. And, you know, we all know that scoreline was kind of a lie. Okay, moving on, it was Munster at home versus Zebra at Musgrave Park. There was simply no way they were going to go 0-3, particularly when faced with Zebra. And by halftime, the comms were actively calling for the Zebra hooker to be benched because of how rattled he was at the lineout. Munster seemed to forget what they were doing after the break, however, and technically, Zebra did outscore them in the second half, but in the end, it was a win for the home team, finally, 21-5. Then it was Benetton at home for the Scarlets. After three quarters of an hour, the visitors had only managed two kicks and found themselves behind 16-6. to The acerbic Tom Shanklin was on hand for the comms, and this time, I imagine he just sort of fancied a trip to Italy. Uh, anyway, for whatever it's worth, I was genuinely pleased to see Lee Halfpenny out there. It had been a long time, indeed. So flipping their sixes upside down, it was 19-9 to not long after, but Benetton are serious business this year. They added another converted and unanswered try, However, the booth got very excited as Scarlet scored, ne uh, scored next, narrowing the gap to three with the final 10 minutes to play. And I wrote, do they have it in them? Benetton stretched it back to six and then an incredible breakaway to put it out of reach for Scarlet. So the ending saw the teams get closer to an actual fight than I've ever seen before. It was amazing. It was almost like somebody might throw a punch. Anyway, still handbags as it all fizzled out. A frustrated Scarlet's team would leave with zero league points, losing 34 to 23. So finally for the URC this weekend, it was Dragons back at Rodney Parade for the Sharks. And oh, the pregame show. Really impressive display at the Dragons lair. I was fired up for sure. The Sharks, of course, would score first, but Dragons, they had the answer and went ahead themselves. Two kicks to the one, but you, you know, you sensed <laughs> there were going to be tries coming for sure. Uh, also, I have to say, the crowd there has been totally reinvigorated by getting that rare win last week. They are on fire tonight. 12-6 to was the halftime score. At the 46th minute, Dragons got the first try of the night. The crowd went nuts. It was back to just a six-point edge, though, however, with a quarter hour to go. Could they hold on for the second week running? Sharks took the lead with just under four minutes to go though the home team hadn't scored in what felt like forever would they find three points to get their second home win in a row sharks missed a shot to pad their own lead leaving the door open just the tiniest of cracks but dragons would have to go the length and get lucky along the way to salvage this one the challenge was too much in the end it was a crushing loss for me personally, I guess, as well as for the Dragons. Just that single point in it. I felt absolutely busted up about it. As I said, this was the hard of, hardest matchup, though, for Dragons in the next four or five rounds. So 
maybe this will still turn out to be a turning point. Here is hoping. Okay, of course, it was also round four for the Premiership. On Friday, we began with Newcastle versus Bristol. I swear, I have no idea what to expect from the Falcons on any given week. It's bizarre. This time, it was good Falcons who showed up. They dispatched the Bears with ease, doubling up their guests 30-15 to 15. on Saturday. <laughs> Gloucester bravely survived their spontaneous bye week before we got London Irish versus Bath and, you know, this is one of those games where the final score doesn't really reflect what we actually saw in the match. London Irish pretty well smacked Bath around all day long, but then they sort of relaxed late when it was in the bag, let in some silly scores to flatter the visiting side. It was a 48-37 to 37 win at the end. Wow, that is a huge score. Next, of course, was Sale versus Exeter. It was a great contest tied at the half, but with the Sharks prevailing, Thanks to some late scoring, it was the first time Sale had beaten the Chiefs in five games, and today it was 28-20 in front of, the, front of a raucous home crowd. Very cool. So next up, of course, was Saracens versus Leicester. And, you know, watching this one, I was instantly reminded, I hate the Saracens. There's, there's no reason for it. I understand that it's completely irrational, but I can't escape it. There are other teams who I feel like, well, they're really good, but I still hope they lose. But with Ceres, I I obviously understand. They're one of the top clubs in the world. But the very sight of them just makes me feel, I don't know, angry and unclean. I honestly have, have no comparison in rugby or anywhere else. I really don't understand it, but ugh, everything about this team just makes me want to barf. Tonight... It was a very close thing indeed against Leicester. At, at least to start off, both teams seemed uh, seemed willing to make defense optional for sure. Uh, despite Nomaro Atoje this evening, Saracens drew ahead, hovering around a nine-point edge before finally sort of breaking through again in the later stages. Suddenly it was 34-18. to 18, And you know what? Despite the fact that I don't like them, Saracens are really effing good. They're already being talked about as contenders for the trophy this year. I think that's a very real possibility. You know, but let's calm down. The season is still very much in its infancy. A million things can happen between now and then. Tonight, at least, however, they looked unstoppable. And by the way, they use a lovely little sort of a gong sound at the end of the game at the Stone X. And it's really nice. I, I wish everybody would adopt that. It's much nicer than the Hooter or the Air Raid Siren that you usually get. I really liked it. In the end, it was a laugher. Saracens, 51. Leicester, 18. And a statement win. And then finally on Sunday, it was going to be Harlan's, uh, Harlequins versus Northampton. And I've decided to save this one for later this week to sort of help fill the empty hole left by the conclusion of the NPC's regular season. Go Quins! Okay, by that music, of course you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Keelan Giles. Mr. Giles, you have been absolutely tearing it up in the URC this year. And I don't know, the way you move, the way you perform under pressure, I mean, you are test ready. You're a big part of your team's success early this season, and I have a feeling you're well on your way to becoming a household name, even here in the rugby star of the United States of America, Keelan Giles. Congratulations to you, sir, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done.
Okay, my friends, that brings us to, of course, our updates and previews. And in the NPC, as I mentioned earlier, the regular season has come to an end. Next weekend begins the quarterfinal round, which I find a bit mind-blowing, to be honest. So as things shook out, we're looking at, on Friday, North Harbor, at home to face Auckland. And until the last few weeks, I would have said, give me Auckland away, but... I think I've underestimated Harbor all year long, so I'm going to put my theoretical fake money that I don't actually bet on the home team. Uh, on Saturday, Wellington will host the Hawks Bay Magpies. I mean, give me Wellington easily for that one. Followed by Canterbury welcoming Northland. This team that only snuck in just barely. Give me Canterbury, please. And then on, finally on Sunday, we'll have Waikato hosting the Bay of Plenty in an exact rematch of the game we just saw, the, the game of the week, unbelievable. Though, of course, that win did mean that Waikato will be back home again. So, <laughs> and now I have to say, I'm nervous because I'm picking all four home teams to win, and we all know things never go that way. Well, I mean, except maybe in France. Either way, it's going to be so good. So, from then on, in the top 14, week six, it'll be Cast versus Montpellier. Stade Francais versus Perpignan. Racing will face Poe at home. Jeez, uh, I wonder if they'll win. Um, Bayon will take on La Rochelle. Toulon will face Brive. Toulouse will face Claremont. Ooh, that's that's got to be the game of the week. And then finally, Lyon will be facing Bordeaux. Begla, with five rounds in the bag, uh, things are really heating up in the top 14. It's kind of exciting. Of course, the Premiership has had four rounds, and so their fifth round will be uh, Bristol versus Exeter. Bath versus Gloucester, Leicester versus Sale, Newcastle versus Saracens, and, of course, Wasps taking on Northampton. I haven't heard a peep about what's going on with Wasps yet. It's very strange. It hadn't really occurred to me, by the way, how much the Worcester situation has negatively affected this competition as a whole. It's really screwed the pooch schedule-wise. Um, you know, because they'd already scheduled all the, all the bye weeks, this just means there's a canceled match every single week in the foreseeable future, and their league can only provide six matchups a week. There's so many ramifications that I just, I have a feeling they're going to do some serious tinkering when the European competitions come along. They'll have a nice little breather there, and I think uh, a monkey wrench will be applied. Meanwhile, the URC round four, Edinburgh are back at home for the Lions. Uh, Connacht, come on guys, we'll be facing Munster. Oh god, that's going to be rough. Zebre will be at home for the Stormers. Leinster, of course, will be facing the Sharks. Ooh, that's a good one. Scarlets will be facing Cardiff in another Welsh derby. Ulster will be facing Ospreys. Glasgow will take on the Bulls. And Benetton will be facing the Dragons. Have you noticed that the Dragons are always last on the schedule? Because I have. Anyway, I'm going to be skipping the Super 6 again this weekend, mostly because I still haven't heard back from my Bears. Like, I've reached out to them more than once. I'm I'm literally the Philip J. Fry meme, angrily saying, like holding out a wad of cash and saying, shut up and take my money, and they won't. Come on, y'all. Let me buy your crap, would you? Come on. <laughs> Wow. Well, my friends, gotta say that does it for another week. It felt a little less crazy than the last couple of weeks, mostly because the BNRC has packed it in for another year. Uh, I think I've mentioned I have a back, uh, sort of a half-baked idea to highlight one competition each week. Um, anyway, I'm still thinking about it. I haven't heard back from any of you about it. Please get in touch. Let me know what you think. Um, 
I always love hearing from the listeners anyway. So, uh, by the way, speaking of which, if you could leave me a nice review if you had a chance, you know, kind of makes a big difference. I'd really appreciate it. It's been like six months. Anyway, as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. So good to hear from you. Talk to you soon. Cheers. And be well.